Hello and welcome to Plattress. This is Lane. This is Meg. And today we're reviewing Wicked Intentions by Elizabeth Hoyt. This was published in 2010 and is number one in the Maiden Lane series. Yes, everyone, I have convinced Lane to read the entire series and not just selected books. <laughs> Can I tell you my number one shock in this exact moment? Mm-hmm. I cannot believe this series only started in 2010. I know. Something about it, like, feels older than that. I feel like Elizabeth Hoyt has a little bit of old school historical romance author in her. Yeah, like, I'm actually kind of reeling from how relatively recent this is. Yeah, so um, we are going to be reading all of them. We've released episodes on at least three. Three, yeah. So those will be re-releases. We won't be recording new episodes for them. But otherwise, look forward to a summer of a Maiden Lane. Like a year of Maiden Lane, because there are only 12 books. (laughs) All right. So the book jacket. A man controlled by his desires. Infamous for his wild, sensual needs, Lazarus Huntington, Lord Care, is searching for a savage killer in St. Giles, London's most notorious slum. Widowed Temperance Dews knows the area like the back of her hand. She cares for its children at the foundling home her family established. Now that home is at risk. A woman haunted by her past. Care makes a simple offer. In return for Temperance's help navigating the perilous alleys of St. Giles, he will introduce her to high society so that she can find a benefactor for the home. But Temperance may not be the innocent she seems, and what begins as a cold bargain soon falls prey to a passion neither can control and may well destroy them both. This is a fine jacket. It's fine. I mean, it's a little over the top, but you know what? This is Maiden Lane. And so sorry. The only thing I kind of wish the jacket gave, like, a warning for is just how gory this is. Yeah, yeah. Like, that sort of took me aback a little bit. Like, I just wasn't prepared for, like, the graphic descriptions of gutting. Yeah. I don't know how you, like, incorporate that into the jacket, but to the degree that, like, maybe content warning should become more ubiquitous, like, I think it would have... Just emphasizing how gruesome the crimes were might have yeah. been a helpful illusion in case people were really, like, put off by it. Yeah. I would say Elizabeth Hoyt is a little darker. She's not, like, a dark romance author, right? But she's, she's on the darker side for historical romance, for sure. And I think the other Maiden Lane books were definitely angstier and darker than I, like, gravitate to her. But even I was taken aback by, like, the description of innards. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't feel like that had been something I associated with Elizabeth Hoyt historically. Or, I mean, for me, too, there's, like, medical gore where he, yeah. he has a, an infected cut and she's got to get all the pus out. And it's really gross. Yeah, the, the pus is described. And yeah. that's... I don't know how you put that in the book jacket, but I just, I think this book jacket seems a little bit more light. 
Well, it seems more like traditionally historical romance. And yes. Hoyt, while she plays into that, is definitely... The, what's the word? The word is like more like earthy or like... Uh, it's really hard to describe exactly what it is, but she's very... I don't know. It, it's not just with like blood and guts either. It, it Like in the sex scenes or the way she describes bodily functions, for example, she's very, I, I, I'm not sure what the word for it is. She's not euphemistic, maybe. It's Honestly, she's a very direct writer. Yes. But I still don't think that encompasses just the types of things she's willing to talk about. Yes. It's not just her writing style, though that's obvi- obviously a contributing factor. Most romance novelists don't want to describe several disemboweled people. Mm-hmm. Now she's going to make it clear on several occasions. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, as usual, we generated a random number. And then we wrote summaries using that number as a word count. And for this episode, that number was 27. I will go first. Here's my 27-word summary. Lazarus is hunting down his mistress's killer. And he asks Temperance to lead him around her neighborhood. Even though he's smart, he's really bad at solving mysteries. So we both honed in on the same plot point, but a little bit differently. Okay, what's yours? Care has to find the person who murdered his mistress, so the only lady he sees on the street who is not a prostitute should help him. Fair. Like, there is, first of all, several things I need to talk about, even just based on these summaries. One, he makes fun of the fact that she has a sister named Silence, but their names are Lazarus and Temperance. Mm-hmm. Cannot. And there's never a good reason why he picks her. No. Like, and she asks, and he literally, the closest you get to an answer is he saw her walking around a couple times. Yeah, he's like, you know the area. You seem like you can get me in. Basically, I think he, I think he felt comfortable. Look, this is not in the text. It's not explained. But... Uh, you know, basically, I think she was slightly more educated than other people. <laughs> it just like there the things that they were that this book just glosses over. I'm used to at this point with Hoy, but it did make me laugh. Yeah, oh, absolutely! Like his absolutely. name is fucking Lazarus. Mm-hmm. It is. I mean, they've all got wild names in these in this series. It's part of the the reason I love it. It's part of the reason I think that the series is so like beloved. Is because it is so... She just embraces being over the top. Yeah. All right. So what are the big tropes here? I mean, it's not a very tropey book. The biggest trope I could find was class difference. And that's not even... I don't even... I disagree. I think the trope is bargain. Yeah. I can see that. It's a sex bargain. But the biggest trope here is you have something I want. I have something you want. And it forces us into proximity with each other. And, oh, no, I like hanging out with you even when we don't have this construct. Yeah. No, it is. It is a bargain book. But it's not a specific enough bargain for it to be, like, tropey. Yeah. I think the moment of, like, I'm going to show up in your office unannounced and make you a proposition you can't refuse is something that, honestly, I think you'd call it tropey if it were a sex bargain. Yes, I would. I think what prevents it from being tropey isn't, like, the nature of the, or isn't the way the agreement is come to or the way they interact because of the agreement. It's the fact that there's nothing explicitly romantic about the agreement. 
yeah, I agree with you. It's not a romance trope to me be, just because there's nothing. He's not making a bargain because he wants to have sex with her. You know? yeah. <laughs> or marry her or whatever. Or whatever. Yeah. Anything romantic. But there is a class difference. I don't think it's very tropey, though. He's such a social outcast. Yeah. That, by choice, that he doesn't, like, actually give a fig about society. And so it's not actually a concern at all. Like, it's not like she couldn't adapt to his lifestyle because his lifestyle is brooding alone and translating poetry. (laughs) He's such... I texted Lane as I was reading this book, and I was like, Lazarus is such a fucking drama queen. He really is. I kind of love, like, you You have to find things that you love about this book, because otherwise you're like, why am I reading this? But the fact that he's so crazy is like, the fact that he's such a vampire without being a vampire makes it amazing. Okay. He's a vampire without being a vampire. That is a great way of putting it. But it's like, isn't that... Isn't Claire yes. basically a vampire? Except yes. he doesn't actually suck blood, right? Yes. Yeah. Like, he wears capes, and, like, he's got long silver hair, and anyway, whatever. He walks around, like, spouting poetry. I'm too dark for this place. In dead languages. Yeah. This yeah. guy. This, this guy. guy. <laughs> okay. So I did, after our week of clergy romance, I did think this was a little bit interesting. It was almost like a reversal of the the clergy romance, because in the clergy romance, you have to have the, you know, the clergyman and then the sex worker, right? And in this book, we have like the most prim and proper woman who has devoted her life to charity and this depraved nobleman. I need to talk about He's not depraved, like, at all. Not really, no. No, he's not. And not, they, not by, like, modern standards. They spend the first third of the book whispering behind her back about, like, his depravity. Uh-huh. And he doesn't even actually think of what it is. You're just kind of left, like, temperance with your worst imaginings. Yeah, you're like, oh, what is it? Yeah. And trope, he hates being touched. Yep. Which thousands of romance novel heroes fit that and so because he hates being touched he ties up the women he sleeps with so they can't touch him mm-hmm. it's so generic tropey and i was even trying to rationalize why like sex workers which are his preferred bed partners in this era like that would have been a huge fucking risk yeah for them but i still don't think society would have viewed it as his depravity yeah I I don't know. It, 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 that's an interesting viewpoint. I mean, I'm going to be honest. At this point, when I evaluate books, I don't think that closely about their historical accuracy, right? It's not the historical accuracy part, because I agree with you. Like, there's no point there. But it's the, when, like, somebody's sexual proclivities are known in a book, I like to see, like, in the world how that happened. Mm. He's only sleeping with prostitutes. Mm-hmm. So they'd only be gossiping amongst themselves and maybe some of their other Johns would get a like whiff of it. Like this isn't like other guys in society we've read who have like sexual kinks, but they're fucking widows and like people in society who are willing to gossip with their friends. Oh, I see what you mean. You're wondering how society knows about it. Right. Like, I don't think this is so egregious or fucked up that 
like a prostitute whispering to another John, oh, he tied me up last night, would have gotten to the point that like everyone in the book seems to know he likes tying women up. Yeah, except for temperance, of course. Except, right, except for temperance. But like Winter knows. <laughs> Come Winter, on. Knows, Winter knows a lot of stuff. Okay, we're not going to get into it, but anyway. <laughs> um, oh, yes. She she is normally dressed in puritanical garb. In fact, he calls her his little Puritan on several occasions and his little martyr on other occasions. But he does take her to some society events. And on both occasions, she wears a new outfit. And, it's and on one of those occasions, it's something he bought for her. Oh, yeah. That's so great. It's I like- love those. Uh, they have a sexual encounter where they're in a brothel, but they're watching something. Yes. I have a lot to say about this specific scene. <laughs> we will, but I think that's a trope at this point. It's possible. Yeah. Like, watching a kinky thing happen together. Yes. In the shadows, specifically at a sex shop of some kind, but even just, like, yes, hiding behind a curtain. I don't like, want to say it started with Hoyt, but I think it, I, I think she was one of the first people to really make it big because the big, because, you know, the ones that I've read more recently have all come after hers. Interesting. You know, I mean, this was published in 2010, which is at this point over 20 years ago. No, Meg. 10 years ago. Thank God. Meg. Oh my God. Meg. This was published <laughs> in 2010, which yes, is, is over 10 years ago. But, I mean, the two that I can think of off the top of my head were only published, like, in the last five years. The okay. three. Mm-hmm. So, I don't want to say she started a trend, but I think she was on the vanguard. Perfect. Alrighty. So, what was your overall impression of this book? Okay, so honestly, this is, I think, the third time I've read this book. Okay. And... To me, it suffers a little bit from the same problem that Cold Hearted Rake does, which is that it's the start of what you know is going to be a big series. And you can tell that it's setting up a lot of storylines and a lot of characters. So I think it suffers from that. In that episode, I call it um, first in a series syndrome. And I think it's the same thing. I think don't think to the same extent. I do think I cared more about Lazarus and Temperance in this book than I did about Devin and Kathleen. But there, there, like, there are several chapters from different characters' viewpoints. There are chapters from Godric's viewpoint. There are chapters, like, a whole ton. There's, like, a whole subplot about silence. And, yeah, I mean, you already know that stuff is going on with Winter. Stuff is going on with Godric. Stuff is going on with silence. Yeah, I actually didn't connect very much with Lazarus and Temperance. Mm. Like, I thought they were both... It's funny that you said you didn't think this was a tropey book. I thought they were both very tropey. Like, I thought this was building up the whole series to such an extent that these characters were, like, stands in for for concepts. To the point that, like, you know Lazarus has a traumatic childhood, but other than a couple mentions of a dance teacher whipping his shins, like, you don't actually dive into that about his character. You know, even her marriage doesn't get the page time, I feel like it would if they'd been the priority. 
Yeah, and I mean, I think this is something that, especially in Maiden Lane, Hoyt falls into this trap of building up the next books, and you miss out on parts of the story that you would, not parts of the story, but you miss out on more of a connection between the main characters in this book. I definitely agree. So I I didn't dislike Lazarus or or Temperance, just to be clear. But their relationship was partially like solving this mystery badly and 50% sex, which is fine, but I actually don't feel like I got why they were into each other. Yeah. Beyond lust. Yeah. So, I mean, Lazarus is so dramatic. It's so funny. Oh my God. He just mopes around all the time thinking about how, what a horrible person he is. And he just thinks these dramatic thoughts. He's like, he, he, there's a time when Temperance is like kind of feeling down and he comforts her. And then he thinks, I want to cause her pain so that I can comfort her. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, yeah, it is real fucked up. It's, it is. It's messed up. But it's also like, you're just being dramatic, Lazarus, you know? Yeah, no, he had no one who cared about him. That was made very clear. Mm-hmm. But I feel like most of the time when a character has that trait, you know why. Mm-hmm. I didn't hear. Like, he went to Oxford. He seemed to have friends. He's got St. John. Like, just because mm-hmm. he hates his parents, I didn't quite get why he was such a social pariah. Well, okay. This is well, like, it's, of- it's self-inflicted. I know that. But, like, I mean, yes. Why? Okay, I'm going to tell you, when I first read this book, I thought that Hoyt was meaning to put him on the spectrum that was neurodivergent in some way so there for the first half there he's like he doesn't like it when people touch him um, because it causes him psychic pain physical and and psychic he calls it he also talks about how he doesn't understand people's relationships with each other and how he feels differently than they do as in his feelings his emotions are different from other people's yeah, I didn't but, pick up on that at all. Well, I totally read it as just tri- like typical sad, tragic romance hero who hated his father. I mean, she doesn't commit, obviously. And the end of the book, if she did mean to place him on the spectrum, the end of the book is very offensive. Um, but I will say that that when I read it the first time, probably about 50%, until they started having sex, really, I was like, oh, is that what she's doing? Is that what she's working with here? No, I think that's interesting. It did not even cross my mind. Yeah. So I will, I'll simply just say that um, the, the biggest issue with that is how he gets healed from his, from his uh, touch aversion through, basically through exposure therapy. And I just don't feel like the touch aversion was justified. Well, that's that's what I'm telling you. I mean, that's what right. I'm saying, right? Is if she had really committed, if it to, had been spectrum related, or like, and I'm right. not saying I want to read about like his insane abuse, right? But I feel like we weren't given anything in the text that explained why he was that put off by human contact, right? No, I agree, and especially if he's not on the spectrum, then you're like, oh, and what the heck was that? Yeah. Not- Okay, I talked about it in my 
summary, but they are so bad at solving this mystery. I actually don't think the mystery itself is too terribly constructed and it ends up basically making sense. Although the, the ultimate villains actions don't make a ton of sense at the end, but they're just so bad at solving the mystery. It's like kind of enjoyable to read and be like, they're so terrible at putting these clues together and figuring stuff out. Well, okay. So he, Claims he didn't, like, actually give a shit about his mistress, but he's sort of just hunting for her killer out of a sense of somebody should care. Yeah. He doesn't care, but he feels like someone should care, so he'll take up the mantle. Right. It's his, like, internal logic. And they just, I don't know if this is historically accurate or not, but I just found it hilarious how not just, like, bad they weren't following the trails they were given, but if you have a body, you'd imagine you'd look at where the body was found. You'd talk to people who knew her. Like, you'd... They didn't do any of that. Mm-mm. The whole investigation is literally just random. They go to random places asking questions. People think they knew more than they do, and then they get attacked. But, like, the entire investigation, even to the degree it is successful, is random. Yes. Okay, I, now we're going to talk about the brothel voyeurism part. Not in a sexy version, but just to illustrate how terrible... Lazarus is at investigating. So they find a brothel. Real bad. They find a brothel um, that has a connection with the dead woman, Marie. And there's a hint. So it turns out that when she was killed, she was tied up in the same way he liked to enjoy her. And people, one person implies it was a frame job. Mm Mm-hmm. But if that is true, why it was true is never explained. And then he's like, oh, well, here's a clue. I should look for other men who have my same depraved proclivities of bed sport. And so he asks the madam of the brothel if he can get a list of names of people who like the ties and the hood. (laughs) And she refuses to give him a name. And then he gives her, I swear to God, he gives her 50 pounds, which in this era, which is in like the 1770s, is enough to like retire on. Okay. Yes. For for someone of her class. So he gives her 50 pounds. And she was like, okay, I can't give you any names, which number one, if she had done that, I would have taken the money back right away. Yeah. <laughs> she goes, I can't give you any names, but you can go look through the peepholes. And see the people who are doing that right now. And so they go up and they look through a few peepholes. And he does find someone where the the woman is tied up. But does he, like, look to see this guy's identity? No. It's it's like they 100% forgot the reason why they went up there. Because they just got really hot for each other. Yeah. And he grinds up against Temperance for a while. And then she runs away and he runs after her. And literally, it's never mentioned that he was like, darn, I didn't get that person's name. <laughs> I mean, this, it, this is a hot sequence, okay? It's very sexy. Yeah. So, I mean, yes, as a reader, you kind of forget, too, the whole reason they're up there. I think the third time I read it, I was like, wait a minute. There's, he's so bad at investigating. So, I, I already talked about uh, Lazarus possibly being on the spectrum, but that's it's hinted at but it's not it's just there's no follow-through if she even meant to hint at it uh the other thing i wanted to talk about that's 
uh, possibly a trigger warning or offensive is about his kink, right? Which is sort of bound up in this idea that he doesn't like to be touched, right? Right. So he likes to tie women up and have sex with them. So he has, and he's clothed um, so that he doesn't actually touch them with almost any part of his body, like actual skin to skin contact. And he has like total control over, over the encounter. Right. Right. And um, I do think that Hoyt did this really interesting job of setting up two people whose sexual preferences aligned because with temperance, she has this feeling towards sex that it's like something, it's like the ultimate sin. She does, and silence also clearly does in one of her headspace. It was, it was an interesting through line with the women in that family, and I didn't quite know what it was trying to accomplish. Yeah. In this book, I thought it worked because she could she could enjoy sex because she wasn't in control, right? She could be like, well, this isn't, it's not my choice. So I don't have to worry about this whole idea that wanting to have sex is something so terrible, right? So I liked that she set up that sexual relationship, but Hoyt, I mean, I like that she set that up, like that they had complementary kinks, kind of. I did not love how she like heals him at the end, basically. Well, there are other times too, where like Lazarus will think, I'm so glad that I don't have to tie temperance up because our relationship is different. And I, I mean, I'm not an expert, but I feel like that's not really how, you know, kink works. Right. Well, but this goes into like, kink as like weird therapy that I've bitched about in previous episodes. Yes. And I think I just appreciated that it didn't go that far in the like this is what I need. Yeah. It can't be any other way. I think I was just so grateful this wasn't like a man in trying to claim his sexual preferences were some sort of pathology. Yeah. I was willing to let a lot of that go. Well that's true. I do really like how in this book he doesn't like kink shame himself. He's basically yeah. like, look, this is how I am uh, at the, at this point in my life. Like people can think it's horrible. Like he basically, he interviews quite a few, well, he inv- interviews two people who, have, who share his kink. Right. Right. And one of them is like really just super embarrassed about it and super ashamed. And Lazarus even thinks he's like, man, I'm like so far removed from that mindset. I, I can't really identify with this dude. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting, and I did appreciate that, for sure. Um, so I bitched in that little segment quickly about how many other books this one sets up. Mm-hmm. I straight up could not. <laughs> so not only does this introduce the concept of the Ghost of St. Giles, which we know is a recurring theme through this entire fucking series, and you meet several people who are clearly involved in that, I didn't realize just how, like, hit you over the head obvious it was going to be from the very jump. Like, there's no subtlety at all about what the situation is going on. Everyone who doesn't realize is just an idiot. (laughs) Um, Silence's whole story was enraging. (laughs) Yeah. Enraging. Which part was enraging? I'm interested to hear. Like, are you angry at Mickey or are you angry at her husband? No, I'm angry that it was there. 
Oh, I see. <laughs> like, and even the scene, and again, there's nothing that pisses me off more than the implication of sexual violence. Like, and I felt like the way that whole story went down, like, left me feeling icky as shit. And the whole, the way she writes this series is she starts with, like, weird fake stories at the beginning of every chapter that you're supposed to follow through as some sort of, like, Aesop's fucking fable. And I feel like what happens to silence is a parable. Mm-hmm. Like, being enacted in real time. And it was just, like, I don't, I don't care. What is being implied is fucking boring. And could you make it any more obvious? And I say this, clearly, I have not read any of the books except for the ones Meg's explicitly told me to. Clearly, Silence's husband is going to die and she's going to end up with the Pirate King. And I was just like, I don't, like, that, I'm not wrong, but I have no knowledge of that. I was so bothered by the way that whole thing was handled. And, like, the way you knew her husband was a bad guy is because he didn't like her when she was horny in the morning. That entire situation was just, like, a big old fucking nope from me. (laughs) I will tell you, my poor husband has to put up with me asking him hypothetical questions all the time. Yes. So I'm like, hypothetically, if someone broke into your work and stole all the computers that were there, and then I found out it was a gang, and I went to the gang leader, and I asked the gang leader to give it back, and he's like, stop, Meg. He's like, don't even continue this. (laughs) FYI, he did tell me he would believe me. I I don't even understand... What? Okay, whatever. Moving on. That That whole thing was just like, a hard nope and moving on. You know, I just, I do want to ask you, like, I mean, you're not going to be able to guess all of them. You already know Winter because I made you read that book. But you already know that they're setting up Godric, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, but you don't know who. Whose wife just, is actively dying in this book. I know. It's, it's so fucked up. I, the amount of time given to other people's character development yeah, but Silence was the worst one. I already hate her, and I already hate the Pirate King. Like, I'm already not looking forward to that book. I'm like, these two people suck. <laughs> I want to hear. I want to hear what you think. Like, who are the other characters you think she's setting up? Okay. Like, we know Silence, Godric, and Winter are obvious. Yes. Um. Silence, Godric, Winter. Uh, clearly a hero. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, you don't look, you don't have to know. I, if I have read a little bit, I'm not an expert on this, but I think that when she started this, she started it as a six book series. Okay. It, she thought of doing six, right? And it turned into 12. But I have always wondered. Because, in my opinion, this book is setting up the next book to be Silence and Mickey. Yes. Right? But it's not. It skips to a different couple. Um, And then it goes back to Silence and Mickey. So so Silence and Mickey are the third book. Yeah, I'm I'm already telling you, that third book is going to be fucking rough for me. (laughs) Like, I hate them both so viscerally. He straight up... Like, murders a dude in front of her. 
and then concocts this like parable of true love or some shit. And I'm just like, no. Well, we'll see how you feel when you read the book. But I've always wondered, not always wondered, I've wondered recently if she meant to set Asa up as one of the first six. Yeah. I mean, I think so. I think Winter's, like, I think all of the make-peace children except Verity and the Brewer. And Concord. Concord are supposed to be set up as future love matches. It's just interesting to me because Asa did not. Yeah, for six. But I would have bet the four make peace kids who were single slash silence, Godric and Hero, along with whoever the third ghost is. Does Hero end up with the third ghost? No. Okay, so then uh, I'm not sure who her original six were if you think it was six, because clearly you know there are at least three ghosts, and you know who two of them are by the end of this book. Mm-hmm. So I think figuring out... <laughs> if, you're, if you're not... Yeah, yes, correct. You do. So, but I don't know who the third one is. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the four Make Peace kids, you've got Hero, who's clearly being set up, and you've got Godric, who's clearly being set up. Mm-hmm. So it's seven. Right, that's the thing. And, and Asa, he was in book... Eight, nine. Yeah, so maybe she moved him later. Who knows? Yeah. I, I'm, I, anyway, I'm interested now. Okay. Content warnings. We already talked about a lot of them, but this book is um, very gory, especially for a romance novel. Yep. Uh, the effects of extreme poverty are not... The effects of extreme poverty are not glossed over, like... At all. At all. It's very sad. It's extremely sad. And, you know, Temperance and the Foundling Home are in the poorest area of London. So you get to see lots of research that Hoyt did about prostitutes and washerwomen and chandlers and gin houses and um, babies used as beggars props and stuff like that. Which brings me to my third content warning, which is that there are references to child trafficking, both sexual and non-sexual. Like selling babies into sex slavery. Yeah, selling babies into sex slavery or selling them to a beggar to help people get more money. And it would help if you, you know, put their eyes out yep. and deformed a little baby. So be aware. Yep. Um, also, we kind of touched on this. Care was clearly abused. To what extent is sort of left ambiguous, but it's heavily implied that all of his, like, current issues are a product of that abuse mm-hmm. um, and I'm putting it here infidelity not between the main characters yeah I right. laughed my ass off I know that's not what I was supposed to do but spoiler alert you find out her big secret is she was actively cheating on her husband when he was run over by a carriage yep. <laughs> and I was just like what the fuck is this tragedy porn <laughs> you didn't think of course, that's what happened. <laughs> I mean, I will say this. Given the, I, the fact that romance novelists, in my opinion, rightly steer clear of infidelity, even in past relationships, my guess was going to be she had a brief, like, hoe-it-up period after her husband died. Mm. And then, like, somehow something happened that, like, made her repent. I was not expecting that she actually cheated, Mm-hmm. Just because I think romance novelists typically avoid cheating. 
yeah. I mean, I I don't want to say that like Elizabeth Hoyt is brave or anything like that, but I do think she pushes the boundaries of of romance, like what can, what you can include in a romance. And what makes a sympathetic character. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because temperance could be, if you weren't in her head and you didn't understand, you weren't in Lazarus's head falling in love with her, she could be this horrible person, like this lady with a stick up her ass, you yeah. know, who's devoting her life to, like, look, everyone knows that you should be charity minded, right? But she literally is like living in, she's living like a nun, but without the holy orders. Yep. So, anyway. Okay. Talking about sexiness because Elizabeth Hoyt writes extremely explicit books. Yes, we've talked about this before. From about the fifty percent point forward, like every other scene is a sex scene. Yes, which is partly why they're such bad investigators because they just have to like fuck all the time. Yes, but this is where we talk about her vocabulary. Like she writes in this like really straight forward way and she uses these words that you don't usually think are sexy and the sex scenes but they're very sexy like shoved you wouldn't think that like shoving his tongue in your mouth is sexy but she somehow makes it sexy yes I don't know how she I don't know how she does it because it should not be sexy but it is yeah this one for me because I didn't give a shit about the couple Mm-hmm. the sex scenes didn't work for me in the way Elizabeth Hoyt often does but it's not a criticism of the sex scenes itself mm-hmm. I was not invested in these characters or their relationship and when they finally like gave in to the desire to be together I kind of didn't get why in those moments that's what had happened you also have a trope he discovers her having his attentions forced upon her and then after rescuing her has to make out with her immediately and we've seen that a ton it just like that's something I've never gotten so like yes it is hot yes it is explicit yes the vocabulary you know where the hands are which I usually love but like Temperance and Lazarus are a big fucking shrug from me (laughs) so yeah it was hot okay well you know what I had I have a a point in here that says let's talk about the voyeurism scene but I think that we have already spoken about it I think we have so we can move on there's a very sexy (laughs) carriage scene yes it's hot. That was probably the best one. It was real hot. It was, like, very sexy. And props to Hoyt for, like, using the ruts in the road as a sex toy. Mm-hmm. Right? She, she, you gotta work with what you got, you know? She really did. She worked it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She did. And, you know, a lot of times, I, I don't know, his whole, like, touch aversion thing, she just used it very well in the sex scenes, right? Yeah. So it it doesn't sound like it would be sexy, but it was actually very sexy. I love that the touch aversion is only bare skin to skin and not through clothes, even if she's actively, like, licking parts of him through a shirt. Yeah. It's all very specific. It was Look, I don't... The specific neuroses. I don't care at this point. (laughs) He also just appears in her little parlor. That was a really hot scene, too. I know you didn't love it, but. Yeah. 
Okay, I also will say, because I, I was I, like, oh. I hated the crying in the last sex scene. Like, I really hated it. Yeah, I was not into that final scene. That last sex scene, I wasn't as like, upset about the curative implication as you were, but it was, it was too emotional and not sexy enough. It, it it wasn't sexy. It was like this very emotional scene. Like there was nothing sexy about it. Mm-mm. I agree with you. I actually agree with you on that scene. Hard pass. So I'm looking forward to finally delving into the world of Maiden Lane. I like, you just needed you just needed. God, how many years have we been doing this? Three years. Coming up on three in May. Oh my God! It's May. <laughs> I was like, wait, you mean like right now? Jesus. You just needed three years of reading all the romance novel out there. Now you're like, I have to read Maiden Lane. In order with context, because like we have read parts of it, but. I think it's going to be interesting for people listening as we go through. Because you're going to be talking about winter with like, I don't know what's going on in this world, but. It's fine. Yeah, well, I hope you guys are excited to go on this journey with us. I'm very excited it's gonna be great thank you so much for listening we'd love it if you would rate review subscribe and check us out around the internet anywhere you can find plot trust